0: Ascended, is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth but no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in a way to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up, in, grow up into him in all things, which is the head. Even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. In the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, to work all uncleanliness with greediness, that ye have not so learned Christ. If so that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness wherefore putting away lying Every man true with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give give place to the devil. Let him that stealeth steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give him the need of that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, That is in that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven.
1: Good evening, everybody. Thanks uh, for showing up this evening to be uh, fed with the Word of God. If you were not here this morning, which it looks like everyone was, my name is Brother David, and I just want to thank uh, Pastor Anderson for allowing me to come and preach for you guys. Let's get straight into this, okay? The, start, the title of this message this, mor- or this evening is Three Enemies of the Christian. Now, there are more than three enemies to a Christian, and some of which that I'm not going to emphasize so much Are some that I talked about this morning and that would be a false prophet also an enemy of a Christian could be a reprobate or what the Bible calls a son of the devil or the son of Belial uh, sodomites and things like that the three enemies of the Christian that we're going to emphasize tonight I believe to be um, more threatening than those other uh, enemies and that's everything from the three are going to be Satan the world and our flesh And I categorize them in this way because I believe the first to be the least threatening, and it gets more threatening as you go on. And you say, David, you said Satan first is the least threatening to the Christian. Uh, Why do you say that? I say that because you're saved if you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Satan can never damn someone to hell. It's not that he's not a threat. It's just to the Christian, he is a least threat than these other two, such as the world and our flesh. Now, look down at your Bible, uh, verse 17. No, I'm sorry, verse 18. And three enemies of the Christian are actually found in this passage right here. Uh, I'm sorry. Take a look at 27. The Bible says, Neither give place to the devil. So it's really briefly, quickly, out of nowhere, just saying, Don't give place to the devil, the first enemy. Verse 18 says, Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. And at verse uh, 17, it says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds. So we know that in the Old Covenant or in the Old Testament, the Gentiles or everyone else that was not a part of the nation of Israel was considered the world. You know, God chose Israel to be sanctified or set apart from the rest of the world. That's why when I say the world, this is showing that, you know, we should not walk as other Gentiles walk or not walk in how the world walks or lives their life. And another enemy, which I believe to be the most threatening enemy to the Christian, is found in verse 22. The Bible reads, That ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt, according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So, And it says in verse 25, Wherefore, putting away lying, speaking every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one body. And be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. And then it goes into, neither give place to the devil. So I believe that the flesh is the most threatening uh, enemy to the Christian, and we're going to expound them as we go on. So first, Satan, you know, like I said... If he can't damn you to hell, then how can he be your enemy? Well, you got to understand that Satan is not just the enemy of the Christian, but he's the enemy of mankind. You know, Satan, from the beginning of time, has always hated man. And as a matter of fact, he's trying to damn everyone to hell because that is his end destiny. And he's trying to drag everyone down with him as possible, hence why he, you know, from the beginning of time, tried to cause doubt in people's life. And... I categorize the world in three camps. There are the sons of God, there is the sons of Adam, or the sons of mankind, and then there are the sons of the devil. Now, both the sons, of man, or the sons of God and the sons of the devil are after the souls of the sons of mankind. That's the spiritual war that is going on. And just like when someone puts their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are sealed into the day of redemption, they will always be saved. But once you have became a child of the devil you know, you will be damned forever. The Bible says that they are twice dead, meaning they will never be saved and they cannot be saved. And with that being said, turn, if you would, to Luke 22. And when you're turning to Luke 22, I'm going to read from you from 1 Corinthians 10, um, 19. The Bible says, What say I then, that the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything, but I say the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils, and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. He cannot drink of the cup of the Lord, and you cannot drink of the cup of the Lord, and, you, and the cup of devils. He cannot be partaker of the Lord's table and the table of devils. So unfortunately, a lot of evangelical Christians or babes who have just got saved think they can be demon possessed, or a devil can come and dwell inside them, or Satan himself. The Bible's teaching us in 1 Corinthians 10, 19, that you cannot be possessed with a devil if you are saved. Because once someone gets saved, you know, their dead spirit is quickened and made alive, and the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside, physically, the body of the believer. And what it's saying here is that you cannot be participating in the Lord's cup and the cup of devils. Jesus said that this cup is the New Testament of his blood. Once you have participated of that cup, you are sealed into the day of redemption and even of his flesh. It's not physically eating his flesh. It's not physically drinking his blood like Catholics believe. It's symbolizing that we have participated in putting our faith in Christ. So once you have put your faith and accepted the Lord's cup, you can't be participating of the devil's uh, cup either or his table. And the Holy Spirit dwells inside you. Therefore, a demon cannot come inside because the Holy Spirit is occupying our body. But unfortunately... Christians think this, and with that being said, being that Christians can't be possessed with the devil, the world can. The sons of Adam or the sons of mankind can be possessed by a demon, but it's not necessarily that they are children of God just because they're demon-possessed. And uh, where I had you turn to Luke 11, we can see an an example of this. Luke 11, verse 17, the Bible reads, But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, this is Jesus Christ talking, it says, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. Is Satan also being divided against himself? How shall his kingdom stand? Because ye say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub, and if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall ye, ye be your judges. Jesus is saying that, they're accusing him of casting out demons by Satan himself. And later on, we find out in other parallel passages that they're being close to becoming you know, reprobate because they're calling Jesus Christ his spirit of the devil. And he's saying, you better watch out because this is one of the unforgivable sins that you can no longer be saved by, is thinking that Jesus has an unclean spirit guiding him. But it continues on to say, but, I, but if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor, wherein he trusted and divideth his spoil. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. He saith. I will return unto my house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So the Bible is clearly emphasizing that. If you look at verse 22, it says, But when a stronger than he, this is someone who's not saved. They have not participated in the cup of the Lord. They're just uh, unsaved, regular son of Adam, or the son of man. And we can testify that a fallen angel or a demon is stronger than we as people. Angels are known in the Bible to do mighty great works. And, and when it says, but when someone stronger than he come upon him and overcome him and take his armor, the Bible is refer, uh, referring his armor to himself. His, his notice it says that he trusted in his armor, or wherein he trusted And then when he was indwelled with the evil spirit and it's cast out of him, what the Bible's teaching is that that person needs to immediately get saved. You know, Mary Magdalene was a prostitute in the Bible who had seven demons inside of her. They were cast out of her, and then she put her faith in Christ. So we know that if you're demon-possessed, it's not necessarily that you are a son of the devil or a daughter of the devil. But rather, you're more likely to be unsaved if you don't immediately put your faith in Christ. And I can testify... And I don't know if you guys know uh, Brother Elijah Horace from Faithful Word, Baptist Tempe. Just the other week, we were, we were not going out soul winning. We saw someone who's demon possessed. And, you know, I'm not going to go into the the story of it. But it was intense because this guy was, you know, just that. Like, I was the silent partner praying that... Hopefully the the spirit would leave him, but of course he didn't eventually get saved. The spirit didn't leave him. But had he been in his clear mind, he would have been able to accept the gospel so that he could participate in the Lord's cup to be saved. And on top of that, if you notice, it look, it says down in uh, verse 26, he Then goeth he and taketh with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And, the la- and he entered in and then dwelled there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Because when someone has a demon that is inside of them and it gets cast out, you know, like the man in the Bible that was caught up with the legion of demons. He was full of a bunch of demons. Jesus cast those demons out of him into the herd of swine. Then he put his faith in Christ and got saved. Because had that guy not got saved, those demons would have took with them more and embodied that person. And second time in the last state of that man would have been worse that is how he is able to become a child of God. So the spiritual war is for the sons of mankind, and if you're saved, Satan can never uh, possess your body. He can possess the bodies of the unsaved, but just because someone is demon-possessed that you shouldn't knock it off that they're a reprobate or a son of the devil, hopefully if they get that demon cast out of them, they can immediately get saved And what did both Mary Magdalene and the man full of legions with demons do when they got saved? Mary Magdalene became a disciple and followed Christ. The man who was full of a legion of demons wanted to follow Jesus. He said, no, rather go to where you're from and tell the people what great things God had done unto you. He then went back and told them what great things Jesus had done unto them. So he became a disciple, whether he knew it or not, just because he didn't follow with Jesus in his ministry, he did the work by preaching the gospel to the people where he's from. So you say then, David, okay, we get it. You cannot be possessed with a demon if you're saved. The people of the world who are unsaved can be, but if they don't get saved immediately, they're likely to become unsaved. How then is Satan an enemy of the Christian? How is he a threat to us? Well, understand this. You don't need to turn there, but the Bible says in 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour Now, just because he cannot damn you to hell, just because um, he is, you know, not able to damn you to hell, it's not that he cannot destroy you. You know, he can destroy our life here on earth by causing doubt in the heart of believers. And, you know, if we follow the Word of God and continue in learning what the Scripture says, when Satan or demons try to whisper in the ear of someone who's saved, if they go to the Scripture... They know that that false doctrine is false because they have the Word of God to back them up and all that. And the devil has always tried to put doubt in the heart of mankind. From the beginning when Adam and Eve you know, were on the earth, Je- where God said, Thou shalt not eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, you know, Satan said, Yea, hath God said? Like, Did he say that? Causing doubt in Eve, and therefore she was deceived, and then Adam following after. So that's the first... Uh, weapon that Satan tries to do to cause harm to the Christian is by putting doubt in their salvation and or doubt in the Word of God or doubt in your church or your pastor or things of God. And if we are sound in our faith, sound in our church, and go and read our Bibles, when doubt arises we'll know what the answer is. The Bible says if you tell Satan to flee, he will flee from you. But not only that, you know, We should not be ignorant of his devices. That is the, you know, let's look at the life of Job, ultimately. Job was a man who was the most righteous man in his lifetime. And God allowed Satan to destroy Job's life. It's not necessarily that he was a sinner. As a matter of fact, we learn as we read the book of Job that his friends keep saying he's a sinner and God's judging him for his sin, when really God was testing or trying Job to prove that Job was righteous in his ways, you know, and Satan took everything from him. He took his health, he took his wealth, he took his family, he took everything from Job. But you know what Job said at the end? He said, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. For I brought nothing into this world, and it is certain I will bring nothing out. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, Job had a right heart and understanding that he's saved. He doesn't need to worry. Even though the devil, you know, destroyed his life, Because he was faithful, God didn't bless the rest of his life. He had more family, more wealth, and he grew. And the end part of Job's life was better than the first, as the Bible says. But just because Satan cannot damn us does not mean we should not be ignorant of his devices. we got to understand Satan is an enemy of the Christian, and we need to beware of his devices. And the first one that I want you to understand is when doubt arises. If someone comes up to you and says, you know, is Jesus the Father? You know, if you're in your Bible, you'll be able to know and dif- di- differentiate that. You know, Jesus is not the Father, but rather He's the Son of God. That's how He's trying to cause doubt in people's lives. But turn, if you would, to uh, 1 John two fourteen. This rolls me into my next point. And we know that Satan is an enemy of the Christian, and we understand that, right? But another form that Satan uses to uh, damn the world, or damn people, is uh, not only through doubt, but also through uh, influence. Satan, And that's where the world comes into play. Satan is known as the god of this world. You know, God allows Satan to run this world in any way, shape, or form that he pleases. And you got to understand, you know, the Bible says in Ephesians 6-12, you don't need to go there, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So the Bible is saying we don't fight a physical fight, but a spiritual fight, a spiritual fight against the rulers of the darkness of this world. So if Satan is the god of this world and is deceiving the world, that would mean that his ministers were transformed as angels of light, are the ones who are in control of this world. And notice it says, and principalities in high places, you know. So when you look around at the world, I know personally, and you, you know, maybe want to check this out for yourself, the world by design is against everything that the Bible, Christianity, and God has stood for. Everything. Everything that the world has to offer is completely contrary to the Bible. The Bible, I mean... Satan from the second you go to school if you go to public school they try to teach you Evolution and the Big Bang Theory, and there's no God atheism and stuff like that So as a kid you're thinking to yourself. Well if the school is telling me there is no God Then you know that's one branch in which Satan is trying to doubt deceive the world But let's say you're not dumb enough to fall into that because as we go on in time We're starting to realize that that's a foolish doctrine to understand that there's no God the Bible said yay the man who said that there is no God is foolish, you know what I mean? And let's say the person who doesn't believe atheism, they're like, okay, I think that's stupid, but I want to find God. And they look out into the world and they see this plethora of religion. God, Satan has drowned the world in religion. Now, there's only one true religion, and we know that, but Satan is trying to muddy the waters Right away. So, if someone is trying to seek God, they—was it, you know, Hinduism? Is it Islam? Is it Buddhism? Is it Christianity? You know, which one is it? And you know, that could really bring doubt in people's life to, you know, which religion do I follow? And not only does he, um, you know, drown the world in religion, but he also has another avenue to think that all these religions are the same and that all roads lead to the same path, in a sense. And it's truly said of that song, uh, I think it's from ACDC, that there is a highway to hell. There is an eight-lane highway. All roads will lead to one place except for one. There's a small goat trail that leads us to the side. There's a fat eight-lane road that it, everyone is following. The Bible says broad is the way that leads to destruction, and very many go there and at. Whereas as narrow is the way to peace and everlasting life. very few be there that find it. So not only did Satan drown the uh, world in religion, but he's trying to tell everyone, oh, all these religions go to the same path. It's what's known as ecumenicalism, you know, that everyone, you're all worshiping the same God in different ways. Now there's something that differentiates Christianity to every religion in the world. There's two main differentiating factors, and that is, number one, salvation by grace alone, or faith. Every religion in the world will try teach you that you need to work your way or be a good person to gain nirvana or heaven or enlightenment or whatever. And that is, you know, Christianity teaches that you need to trust alone in Jesus Christ. But on top of that, Christianity is different from every other religion because of the Trinity. Now, every other religion either has one or multiple gods. You know, they're either monotheistic or polytheistic. We as Bible-believing Christians are monotheistic but we understand that the one God that there is out there is three persons it's easy for a person to think up a false God as one or multiple false gods like okay you know uh, if someone wanted to deceive the world as a false prophet or you know wicked evil wolf in sheep's clothing they'll make up a God one God or they'll make up a group of gods but a human logic can never understand completely the the complex uh, uh, nature of God of one God three persons No person could think that up. God, only the Bible, shows us a triunity of God, you know? So what differentiates Christianity from the rest of the world? is salvation by faith and the triune God. Three persons, one God. Now, let's say the person who doesn't believe in atheism is like, okay, that's stupid. He looks around at the religions of the world, and he's like, okay, I don't know which one, but Christianity seems to be like the one that most, or they seem to be the closest to God. I think they have the right... Faith or the right trust. And then they go to Christianity. Satan has then flooded the Christian world with false Bible versions, false denominations damnable heresies that are that they use to prop up their doctrines out of the Bible. So now when someone comes to Christianity, they're thinking to themselves, okay, you know, there is a God, it's not those gods, it's the God of the Bible, but what denomination do I follow? What Bible version do I follow? You know, Satan is trying to flood the world in doubt and flood the world in influence so that the odds are literally stacked against everyone in the world. Satan is truly trying to drag everyone to hell, and we need to not be ignorant of that. And when we go out to give the gospel to the lost, just like the Apostle Paul, he, he was blinded, he was ignorant, he doesn't realize that and it's true. Every road will lead to hell, except for the Bible and believing on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, where you, you are in First John 5:14, you know, and other avenues of the world can clearly show you know, where Satan has influence, you know, the medical industry. If you are nothing but a complex compound of chemicals, well how do you fix that? Throw more chemicals at it and it'll get better. You know, you look at the schooling system, teaching atheism, you look at our government. It's wicked and against God in every way, shape, or form. Therefore, if you look at everything in the world, you start realizing that it's against God. Why is that you say? Where well, you are in First John verse fourteen, the Bible read first John two Uh, Verse 14, the Bible reads, I have written unto you fathers, because ye know him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you. And ye have overcome the wicked one. You've already overcome the wicked one. Satan, right? And as ye have heard that, oh no, don't look into 18, sorry, I overread that. But the Bible is clearly saying if you have the love of the world in you, the love of the Father is clearly not in you. Now, you may want to check yourself in your day-to-day walk in life. If you are going along to get along in your work, in your school, with your parents or your loved ones, if day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month... You don't seem to ever have any confliction with people and people of the world are disagreeing with you in every way, shape or form. You may want to check whether or not the love of God is in you because it says if the world love you, the love of, the God, the love of God is not in you. And, you know, we should not be going along to get along. We need to stand apart and be sanctified or be separated from the world. Turn, if you would, to John 15 And if you're living for God, you've got to understand that you will be set apart, whether you know that or not. Jesus, you know, the Bible says or the Bible says in John 15, 18, chapter 15, verse 18, why? Why will the world hate you if you're following Jesus? Doesn't Jesus teach peace and love and love your neighbor and be good and things like that? Why would the world hate that? Well, the Bible says, before I look into uh, chapter 15, it says in John 7:7, the world cannot hate you. But me it hateth, because I testify that the works thereof are evil. Back to what I was talking about. If you have the love of the Father in you, you're going to do what Jesus has done and testify that the works thereof are evil. Now, if Satan is the god of this world and his minions are the ones running the world, and you're getting along with your police chief, with your mayor, with the politicians, and they're cool with you, you really got to understand that you're not calling them out for their evil deeds. Our president, you know, people... The Republican Party are really into, like, praising Donald Trump, Donald Trump. And he's a wicked man. You know, he's an adulterer. You know, we shouldn't be participating or affiliated with someone who's an unbeliever. The Bible says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. But where you are in John fifteen eighteen, the Bible reads, If the world hate you, Ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they have kept my things, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them... They had, not had, they had not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me, hateth my father also. The Bible is very clear. The reason why the world will hate us is because we are the light of the world. Jesus says, uh, he was a light when he was here, and he says, now you are the light of the world. You are the ambassador of Christ. You represent Christ in the world. The Bible says in verse uh, 20 that the servant is not greater than his Lord. Do you think, as a Christian, you're going to be saved by Jesus Christ, who is your master, and you think you're going to just walk around and live a godly life and do great and not be persecuted because you think you're better than Jesus Christ? No, as a matter of fact, you will be persecuted. The Bible says in uh, 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution because you are, set, you are not of this world. The world will not love you because of the love of the Father is not in them. That's what the Bible teaches here. Now, another thing with that being said is, as being sanctified or set apart, you know, we got to understand that we are not to fear the people in this world. The Bible says in Matthew 10, 28, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather Fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of by being set apart? Why do you go along to get along for persecution? I understand there's peer pressure, but as you grow older, you start realizing that what the peers in the world is doing and pressuring you to do the things that are against God is not worth following. We need to follow God above everything. What's the worth they can do to you? Kill you? Kill your body? What does that matter? We're victorious. To be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. Why wouldn't you rather... You know, serve God in the time you have. You know, our life is but a vapor, and we need to realize that our time is numbered. And in serving the Lord, we will be able to store for ourselves up treasures in heaven. Lay not for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and ruth does corrupt, nor thief can break through, nor steal, but rather store for yourself treasures in heaven where moth nor ruth can corrupt, nor thief can break through, nor steal, for where your heart is, there will your treasures be also. Let's store up treasures in heaven. Let's live godly and be sanctified. Call out the wickedness for, for what it is in the world and not be of the world. But we could be in the world, but not of the world. Turn, if you would, to Romans 12. Now, number one, the first enemy that we're talking about is Satan. You, don't need, you do need to understand he is a threat. If you're not in your Bible daily, if you're not going to church Weekly, if you're not going soul winning at least monthly and singing psalm hymns and spiritual songs, he's going to try to bring false doctrine to you. He's going to try to bring doubt into your life. And let's say you are doing those things, you're 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 focused on serving God, you're focused on you know uh, going to church and things like that. But then understand, you live in the world, and the world is going Satan through his influences is trying to going to make you unfruitful. The parable of the sower talks about the seed that was sown on thorny ground. It says when it grew up the thorns grew up with it and the cares of this world trapped it and it was not able to become fruitful it's not that that person is not saved they're just not fruitful they're not storing for themselves treasures in heaven but here in uh, romans 12 verse 1 the bible reads i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god that ye be- present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable unto god which is your reasonable service a long time ago before i was even sa- saved I heard a saying before, and it, it though uh, it came from, you know, Dami, who is a false prophet, it still is a true saying, nonetheless. It's ultimately, the least you can do for God is give him everything that you are. And, you know, if he gave his life and everything that he was for us, that's the least we can do for God. Now, we're not always going to do the things that are pleasing to him. But like it says in verse 1, it says, you know, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's the least we should be doing. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man, to the measure of the faith. We need to transform how we think. We need to change how we view the world, how we see things. And how do we do that? That brings me to the last and most threatening enemy to the Christian. Okay, David, we get it. Satan can't damn us to hell, but he can cause doubt in our lives. Okay, the world is against us in every way, shape, or form. Okay, but... What if I just uproot my family and I just go move into the sticks somewhere and live off the grid as like an Amish guy and just disconnect from the world and throw away the internet and the television and we just read our Bibles every day? Is that okay? No, because the Bible says you need to renew your mind. And that's where I lead up into the most dangerous enemy of the Christian and that is your own flesh. You can run all you want from the world and from Satan and from reading the Word of God, but you cannot run from yourself. Turn, if you would, to Romans 7. Now, unfortunately, a lot of the uh, old independent uh, Baptist churches, from my understanding, thought that once someone puts their faith in Christ and the new man is born, and the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of the person, that the old man has died. Now, that's not true. And if you look at your Bible, you'll see that the old man is still there. Now we understand that there is a new man but the old man still is alive and that's the unfortunate thing that why people believe that with faith will come works because they're not understanding that the old man is not necessarily dead but rather we need to choose now we're going to walk in the spirit or walk in the flesh now chap romans 7 chap romans 7 verse 14 really explains to us What's known as the war going on between the flesh and the spirit. There's a war going on inside of the heart of all believers. Though the Holy Spirit dwells inside of them, the flesh, or the old man, is still there. Look down at your Bible at verse 14. The Bible reads, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Tell that to Paul Washer, who is this false, wicked, horrible, false prophet who teaches that there's no such thing as a carnal Christian. I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, who Paul Washer is, but he thinks that there's no such thing as a, uh, a carnal Christian. What did Paul say? Paul says, I'm carnal. Is anyone doubting Paul the Apostle was a Christian? No, we know he was saved. And it said, sold under sin. In verse 15 it says, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which would I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now, then, it is no more I that doeth it, but sin that dwelleth in me. What did that tongue twister ultimately say? It's pretty much teaching that Paul wants to do things that are good and and pleasing to the Lord. But he ends up not doing those things. And the things he doesn't want to do, he he ends up doing those things, you know. And notice what it says at the the end of verse 17. It says, but sin that dwelleth in me. Dwelleth where? In verse 18 it says, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Paul wants to do the things that are always pleasing to the Lord. I'm sure if you are a Bible-believing Christian and you come to a church like uh, Word of Truth or Faithful Word Baptist Church, you want to be pleasing to God. But understand this, you will never always be pleasing to God. You will never always be walking in the Spirit and, uh, in a sense, resisting your flesh, we should, and we should try to, but we are all sinners, you know, the Bible says, yea, if we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us, even to this day, standing here in front of you guys, I can say with confidence that I have sinned, and I am struggling daily with the war between the flesh and the spirit, and it keeps going on to say, in verse 19, it says, for the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would, that I do. Back to what it said earlier. Now, if I do that, would now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Members simply means your body, your, you know, your limbs, and so on. So he says that he is under the law, which is his members. He says in verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? death. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. We need to change our minds and how we think. You know, when someone gets saved, were you made perfect? Was your flesh glorified? No. Now, there will be a point in the resurrection where everyone who is dead will be given a new body, whether if they're alive or their body is in the grave. The dead will rise first, but then we which remain shall be caught up together with them in the air. And our flesh, the body, will change and be, will be made perfect so that we cannot sin. But because we still have the flesh, we still have the mind of the flesh. The brain that sits inside of our skulls ultimately is part of this sin nature. And notice how uh, chapter 7 rolls right into chapter 8 so smoothly. I, before I was saved, really liked Romans 8, 6. And I had no reason why other than it sounded like a cool verse. You know, it seemed like very like uh, cool to say and to quote. And now that I'm saved and I look at Romans 8, 6, it really, you know, sinks into me a lot more because I understand it because now I'm saved. The Bible reads in verse 1, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And look at 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The Bible's talking about, in verse 6, to be carnally minded, or to be thinking of the things of the flesh, and fulfilling the lusts of the flesh, is death. But to be spiritually minded, leads to peace and everlasting life. And this means physically. Everything, if you look at 7, it says, everything that the carnal mind is, is an enmity against God. Enmity means just against, or the enemy of God. So, When someone is walking after the things of the flesh, the everything that it leads to is death. Think of things that are sinful, right? Being lazy, not being a hard worker, Uh, being a glutton, uh, being a fornicator. You know, all those things will physically lead you to die. You know, fornication will lead you to STDs. Gluttony and and laziness will make you die of diabetes and a a health problem. Not taking care of the tabernacle of the flesh that God gave us. But also, if you think on the things of the Spirit, it is life and peace. So when you live for the things of the Spirit, what are some godly attributes? Things such as hard work, taking care of your health, or the tabernacle, you know, uh, being committed unto your own wife, so you're able to live a long and prosperous life, uh, honoring your father and your mother. You know, This is the first commandment with promise, that you may live long upon the earth. And if you are following after the things of the Spirit, and walking in the new man, you will not only physically live longer, but you will have peace. People who are minded the things of the flesh, they are not—they're not at peace. They're not happy. They may say they're happy. They may think that they're, you know, enjoying life. Sin for a season, but it's just that—it's for a season. It's not going to have eternal value. It's not going to bring a peace for the length of their life. And Matthew, uh, turn if you would to John. Sixteen three Matthew 16, or 24, the Bible reads, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Notice that it said, let him deny himself. What does that mean, himself? That means the old man. Deny who you were. Not deny who you can be in following the things of God. Deny who you used to be. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross daily and follow after Jesus. And then later on it says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. If we follow the things of Jesus, if we follow the things of the Bible, if we're pleasing to God, you will find your life and live prosperously on the earth. Now, where you are in Roman, or I'm sorry, uh, John 16, we're gonna close up here. These are my closing closing thoughts on this. And number one, Satan is an enemy of ours, and we don't need to ultimately worry too much about him. But he is a threat. Don't think that Satan cannot bring doubt into your life or influence through the world. That's another enemy of the Christian. The world is. Against God. If you have the love of the world in you, the love of the Father is simply not in you. Don't be influenced by the things of this world. But more importantly than that, if you uproot your family and you move into the bushes and you run away from all this influence, you cannot run away from yourself. You need to pick up your cross daily and serve God with everything that you can. And that's why I believe people who do such things and go live in compounds or off the grid and stuff like that, they're ultimately. You know, cowards. They're of shame for the cause of Christ. Now, obviously, you can do that and serve God in your own way, shape, or form, but God wants us to serve Him. God wants us to be pleasing to Him. And it says right here in John 16, verse 33, the Bible reads, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulations. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We don't need to worry about our enemies. Earlier, where we started in Ephesians 4, talked about the perfecting of the saints. You know, we have teachers and preachers, evangelists, deacons, to help perfect or complete the body of God, to better serve God, right? And if you were to complete the the people of God and not warn them about their enemies, then they're going to go out into a battle and lose. When a boxer goes to train for a fight, he studies his enemy. He studies his movements so that he can win the fight. So we're here today To help you to understand who your enemy is, know his moves, know his devices, so that way you're able to withstand against the evil day. Don't worry about it. Jesus has overcome the world. You may, um, you know, uh, fall into some temptations in the world. It's wicked, but it may happen. It's actually very possible because everything is against God by nature on this world. You may uh, find yourself walking in the flesh uh, from time to time, but don't worry. Christ has overcome the world. And turn if you would, to John 17 verse 14. The Bible says, "I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that the world but thou, thou shalt keep but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth thy word is truth. Jesus doesn't want to take us from the world. Jesus doesn't want to take us outside and put us on a compound. Once someone got saved, he didn't want to take you to heaven immediately. He wants you to stay in the world and continue the fight. We need to fight the good fight. The sons of the devil are after mankind. The sons of God need to be after the sons of mankind to convert them to be saved. Understand that he's not trying to take you from the world, but rather that he'd keep you from the evil of the world. And understanding that, how do you get you know, uh, how do you not be confused with the things of this world? It says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Be in your Bible daily. Go to church weekly. Go soul-winning weekly. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and you'll be filled with the Spirit. You'll be walking in the Spirit. You'll be pleasing to God. When Satan comes and tries to cause doubt and tell you that Jesus is the Father, read your Bible, and you'll find out really soon that Jesus is the Son of God, always. He's always been the Son of God. And when he tries to have the world influence you, just understand that don't be participating in the things of the world. Don't love the world, but rather love the things of God. And we'll end at uh, Ephesians 6. If you would turn to Ephesians 6. And you say, David, dang, okay, that's a pretty... You know depressing sermon because you know you're telling us about our enemies but like you're not really preparing us for other than read your Bible you know like that's pretty low well like I said on a high note don't worry Christ has overcome the world sanctify them through thy word but uh, where it's set, what it talks about here in Ephesians 6 is what's known as putting on the armor of God like I said you know we, we say these things to prepare you for when you come across your enemy Understand that he will come. But if you're ready to fight, you'll be able to win the battle at the end of the day. In uh, Ephesians 6, verse 11, the Bible reads, Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principality, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand in the evil day and have done all to stand. Notice it said stand three times. Stand, be firm. Don't be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Stand firm. Be proud that you are a Christian. Don't let the world um, influence you. Don't let Satan try to influence you. Don't walk in the old man. Stand in the things of God. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate is the armor that is exposed or is defending all the most vulnerable organs in your body. And, you know, you've always heard, you know, walk with your chest out means be proud. Be proud. Be righteous. You know, be sanctified. Be set apart. Live for God. Don't be conformed to the things of this world, but rather be transformed. Be proud that you're a Christian and that you're living righteously. And it says in verse 15, And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Be prepared always to give an answer to anyone that asketh of the reason of the hope that is in you. Like I said earlier this morning. Be prepared to go and preach the gospel. Have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. Above all, take the shield of faith. Wherewith wherewith ye shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. When he throws doubt. When he throws these things at you, faith is what's protecting you because you are sealed into the day of redemption through what you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Everything that was said up to this point is an is a armor. It, def- it, it defends you. It keeps you safe the one thing we have to fight against Satan, against the wiles of the devil, against this world and against our own flesh is the sword of God. The word of God is our offensive weapon. As a preacher, as an evangelist or a minister, we need to use this Bible to cast out all doubt in people's minds. We need to, as Jesus said, you know, call out the wickedness for what it is and understand that you will be in a fight. Things will come your way. But use the sword of God to be able to Defend yourself and to fight the battle that needs to be fought. Verse 18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watch thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mysteries of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that ye also may know my affairs and how I do. Tychus, and then it goes on to closing out his uh, epistle. So, we need to have boldness. We need not to fear what people can do to our body. We need not to fear Satan. We don't need to fear our flesh, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind and serve the Lord daily. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for allowing us to uh, come and preach your word. Thank you so much for um, Word of Truth Baptist Church and what they're doing in uh, Georgia, thank you so much for, you know, the edifying of the saints here, and help us to continue to serve you above everything, and not to fear uh, the Satan or the world or the world or ourselves, but rather to just trust in you and know that you've overcome everything. And help us to drive home safely and to be pleasing to you in all things. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.